You know, in Christianity so often, we put on a face. We put on an eye, we put on nice clothes. Our churches oftentimes are ornate. And we come across looking like a picture of perfection, or at least striving to be perfect. Some, unfortunately, teach that when you have Christ in your life, that all things are glorious, and all things are perfect, and it's a mountaintop the rest of your life. But the truth is, that's just not true. Jesus himself said, what? In this world you'll have many troubles. But our hope that the Word teaches us, and that he goes on, he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's why it's important for us to be one with Christ, because he's an overcomer. And when you're one with Christ, He helps us to overcome in life. Now, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to look at a story of a great victory that most of us know. But then we're going to look at a few small verses that most of us don't know. And I think this picture today that we will see from a man named David who slayed a giant shows us how rapidly in life we can go from a mountaintop down to an absolute valley or a cave of life where it's lonely and dark and despairing. So 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now before I get into this too much, I want to say one word, and that is Wednesday night is going to be a guy named Mark Tidwell coming to share with us. And I'm so thankful that we were able to get Mark to come. And Mark is a, the FCA Metro Director of Atlanta, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But much more than that, several years ago, Mark got cancer. And then it went into remission and everything was fine. And then it came back with great vengeance. And Mark has been in stage four cancer for some time now. In fact, this past week he was in Seattle, Washington, undergoing experimental treatment. At this point, everything they're trying is an experiment. He's the guinea pig of cancer right now. And Mark, when I sat down with him at the Cracker Barrel a couple of months ago, sitting in front of me was not a man who looked like death, though he's facing death. He, looked, he was a man that was incredibly humbly, humble, who was absolutely being used by God in a great, great way. And a few weeks ago, he was hearing with Atlanta Falcons. In fact, you probably, I know you didn't notice this, but many of the Falcon players are wearing wristbands now that has Mark's message on it about how to leave a mark in life. And this guy, God is, I'm telling you, really greatly using. And we're fortunate to have him here in Mobile on our campus at the University of Mobile, and I asked him to come out and share with us Wednesday night. So 6 o'clock, I encourage everybody to be there. And I don't know where we're going to put everybody, but we'll figure that out Wednesday night. But uh, it is an absolute inspiring message, not about cancer, not about survival, surviving cancer, but about a guy who God's greatly using right now in his life. So try to be there Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Now let's look at this fellow named David. We all know the story. He's facing Goliath. This giant, it's nation against nation, Philistines against Israelites. The Philistines are strong and mighty because David, because Goliath, they have this giant of a man who no one wants to confront. 
And we know the story. David goes out, and he, can, he, can, he, he, he comes against Goliath with five stones. He throws his rock or slings the rock over. It hits Goliath in the forehead. The giant of a man falls to the ground. It knocks him out cold. David goes over and kills the man, and he's dead, gone, done. The Philistines run. The Israelites chase this, the, the Philistines, and they plunder their tents, and basically they have an amazing victory over a giant of a man. And David is, has gone from being this no one that no one really cared about to being this hero for an entire nation. And it happened over a matter of a couple of days. In fact, as he's traveling after the, the battle against the Philistines, look at chapter 18, in fact, verse 6 and 7. It says, now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So here's the king, Saul, and there's a great victory and the women come out and they're dancing. Well, they're dancing and singing because their husbands' lives were just spared. And here's this great celebration for the king. And here's David who slayed the giant. This, this young guy who's no one's known. And here it comes in verse 7. So the women sang as they danced. And they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Suddenly the attention and the focus was no longer on the king named Saul. It was on David, the hero who slayed Goliath. Verse 8, then Saul was angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now here's Israel in a place suddenly where they can become an absolute place, a nation of power, a place of prominence. They just slayed this giant of a man, and they've... And the, and the Philistines have, have fled, and now they're in position to, be, to, to, to have peace and prosperity. And instead, Saul becomes jealous. And instead of leading his nation towards more grandness, he instead places his eyes on a man named David because of his jealous heart. And so he goes after David. And here's David with the people singing his praises. And look what happens. He ends up, Saul starts chasing after him. And then flip with me to chapter 21, verse 10. How does one go from facing the giant, the most powerful army in the world, and having victory, and having a nation celebrate him to this that we're about to see. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, interestingly enough, the king of Gath was the king of the Philistines. In fact, Goliath came from where? Gath. 
So here's this man who's ran the enemy out, and now he's on the run, scared to death, and he runs actually into the arms of the people that he just defeated. And when he gets there, look what happens. Verse 11, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart, and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Wow. Wasn't it David who stood on the hill and yelled out and said, My Lord will defeat you. My God will defeat you. And Goliath would yell back, You, you're a little runt. You're going to come and defeat me. And they had this yelling match out with both countries listening and then he said i'll take you down by the power of god and he goes out and he does it he defeats the most powerful army of the world with one stone and now saul is after him and he actually takes off running from those who loved him and adored him and praised him and was ready to make him king, he runs from that place and he runs to the arms or runs to the king of the one he just defeated. You know what we learned from that? There's going to be several lessons we learned today. How often the things that we defeat in our own life, when times get tough or circumstances become hard, we run right back into the arms of the, pl- the people or the things or the flesh or the drug or the whatever that we've already defeated. That's a great message for all of us today that was not in my notes or in my head, I'm telling you. Why is it that even when we have victory over something, do we oftentimes, when we get squeezed, we run back to that something that was our enemy to begin with? So the lesson today is don't run towards your enemy. When you defeat your enemy, you stay away. You don't go back. Because look what happens. This is amazing to me. It's one of the most comical scriptures in all of the Bible. David comes before the king, and these people are saying, isn't this the guy? Because they're, you know, they're like, wait a minute, that's that, that's that young guy. Isn't he the one that slayed the giant? Well, it kind of looks like him. That can't be. No, no, no. That's the, one that's, that's the one that I saw him when they were doing the parade. That's got to be the guy. And so here, look at what David does. Verse 12, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. The guy, David, turned around and pretended to be mentally ill. He let spit. I mean, he began to consciously, cognitively make the choice because he's in a crunch, and he let starts salivating out of his mouth all onto his beard. Isn't that? Can't you see the sight before the king? And he's scratching on the door and he's on the floor. He's acting like a nut. Someone who who is not certainly one who just defeated Goliath and was being celebrated by his nation. And so they're looking and they're confused. And verse 14, then Akish said to his servants, Look, you see, this man is insane. 
Why have you brought him before me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So the king's like, what are you doing? You're bringing this guy who's insane into my presence? Well, you know, insane people didn't hang out with the king. Why would you bring this guy to me? And so they let David go. Now, I don't know. Maybe there's a lesson there that sometimes we do whatever we have to do to to get out of a circumstance. I don't know and don't want to go there. But we know this. David acts insane in the place of circumstance. And you know what happens when we run back into the arms of the things that we've defeated? It will make us a madman. And here's David who has gone from being this, pl- this man of great faith and great power and great strength and great greatness of calling out to God in the face of an enemy. And he says, I will defeat my enemy to the glory of God, and he does. And now here he is running right back to the enemy and it's made him look like an insane man. Well, chapter 22, verse 1 says, David therefore departed from there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now I want to take a moment because what we see is this. This is interesting. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 142. Now stay at 1 Samuel because we're going to come back to it. But Psalm 142. And this is where we see the Word of God absolutely come to life in a powerful way. David runs to this cave called Adullam. You know, this part of the world where this cave is is extremely, extremely rocky. It's pretty elevated. It's hard to get into these caves. So David runs after being this madman. He takes off and he doesn't know where to go. Where can he go that he will not be recognized? Where can he go for safety and security? So he makes his way up this rocky path. Can't you see it? It's just a trail along the, the mountains. And he goes up and he finds, and there's all kinds of little holes and caves in these mountains in this part of Israel. And he finds a place that's called the Cave of Adullam. And it's hard to get into and he looks in and he crawls down into this rather inside, rather large cave called Adullam to hide out. And when he gets in there, he's tired from running. He's probably embarrassed because he's defeated the enemy and then ran back to the king and just came acting like a madman. I'm sure he's saying, who in the world has, can I, where can I go? Who's going to come to me? How am I going to eat? I have nowhere to go. I'm lonely. I'm in despair. Now I'm sitting in this cave all by myself. And he writes Psalm 142 from the cave. And listen what he says by himself. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path and the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. 
Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Isn't this the same guy who just a couple of chapters ago and a couple of weeks ago, if not days ago, the people of Israel were singing and saying, Saul slayed a thousand, but David, oh, David has slayed ten thousand. He was on the mountaintop of recognition and popularity and a place of prominence. And now he sits in a cave after acting like a madman all by himself, and he says, no one cares for my soul. You know what that is? Some of y'all can tell me. Because when you run, and you don't know where to go, and even though you might know that you're loved and people care for you, the truth is, when you're in this situation, you feel completely all by yourself. Anybody been there? He said in verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion, the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. See, his whole perspective in life has changed now. He went from seeing this giant and saying, God will slay you, to hearing the cave of despair and loneliness and darkness and disillusionment, to saying, for they are stronger than I. He's tired. His faith is weak. He said, bring, back, bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. What's interesting there is here's a guy who knows God and wants to praise God, but sometimes, y'all, and this may sound a little, maybe not the perfect Christian that I'm talking about earlier. This is real life here, y'all. Sometimes when you feel like you don't know what to do and you're in despair and you're lonely and you're disillusioned, you only feel like you can praise because you feel like your soul is in prison. And sometimes good people, meaning well, will say, well, just praise the Lord. And the one that's in despair, that's in the cave, and I've said it, I'll be honest. Yeah, you know, you don't have a clue what I'm going through. Isn't that real? Praise the Lord, I'm praying for you. It'll work out. And when you're in this place, you can't see. You're in a cave. And then our mind begins to say, well, God did that then, and he was with me then, but maybe God's abandoned me now. Maybe God doesn't care where I am now. And that's how come you begin to feel like you're alone in a cave and by yourself in a cave and no one's there and everyone else is stronger because the world's perspective, 
the, we begin to look at circumstance and we hide and, and it begins to get into our mind, into our heads. And once it gets into our heads, then it begins to control us. And we begin to look at the circumstances instead of at God. And then that begins to get all whacked out in our heads. And what do we do? Because I don't know, man, I, I don't even know if God loves me anymore. I don't even know if God's there anymore. And that may not sound super spiritual. And the truth is, guess what? It's not. It's human. And then you say, what do I do in this place? I'm by myself. They're stronger than me. But the good thing that, Paul, that, that David does is he continues to call out to God in the midst of his loneliness and pain. You see, that's the one thing he did right. And the truth is, it's the only thing he needed to do. Was to look heavenward and to look to God. Even though his faith is weak. I wish I could say all of us all the time have great faith. But we don't, do we? And sometimes it's easier to have great faith for other people than it is for ourselves in our own circumstance. I remember there was once in my life where people would come to me and ask me to pray. This is true. And I would pray for them, their marriage or finances or whatever. And my own life was a wreck behind the scenes. And I would pray for someone else's marriage to be restored while mine was literally in serious trouble. And they would come back to me and they would say, Praise God, Joe, thank you so much for your prayers. Everything's great. We did what you told us to do and it's wonderful. And I would go back and I'd celebrate with them, but I would go back in, the, in, in my cave and I'd get on my face before God and cry and say, Lord, I'm so thankful that you fixed theirs, but will you fix mine? Why are you not fixing mine? See, it's easier to have faith for others than it is for yourself sometimes. We have belief that God will do it for them, but sometimes we don't understand that we're created in the image of God too and that God can do it for us as well. God loves us, cares for us. God's not just in the business of healing someone else. He's in the business of healing us. It's hard to see when you're in the cave. But he does say, verse 7, Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Now, it's interesting that he writes this Psalm 142. Look at that last line again. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. What he's saying is, God, do your work in me, and Lord, you will bring righteous people to encircle me with. You see that? Go back to 1 Samuel 22, and let me show you how that really did happen. Chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. That's when he writes Psalm 142. You say, are you making that up? No. Look at the top. The very top caption. The top of 142 is called where David wrote from the cave. 
Look at this next part of verse 1. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. David said, Lord, you'll surround me with righteous. And here they come, his family. And they encircle him and they find him in this cave. Now, the Bible doesn't say how they found him. I have no idea. But we know this. Here's a man, a giant killer, who becomes a cave dweller by himself. And he stays true in that even though his faith was weak and he felt alone and he felt his soul was in prison, he still looked to God for strength. And God answers his prayers. And he sends his family and they find, and they went down there to him. Now, two things I want us to see. Going back to Psalm 142, and then we're going to talk about the family. First off, I'm going to give you three things. On when you're hurting, and when you're going into a cave, I'm going to give you three things that will help you while you're in the cave. Then I'm going to talk to you about when you have a family member who's in the cave, three things that you need to do to help them while they're in the cave. Okay? These are simple. They're going to be quick. First off, in Psalm 142, what do we see David doing? This is what he does, three things. And I'm telling you, it works. I've done it. Some of you have done it. And this works when we face cave-like experiences, when we go from giant killers to cave dwellers. First off, he's running, right? And he does run to this cave. The problem is, so many of us run, and we 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 run. Until we can't run anymore, and we give out. I don't know where David was on this journey, but I know this. He had given out. And when you come to a place of finally stopping enough for God to do His work, the first thing you've got to do is what David did, and that is David hurt enough to admit that he had a need. And we all have to be honest enough to say, God, I can't do this. I hurt, I'm lonely, I'm scared. I feel like my soul's in prison. I feel like I'm all alone. I don't know where to go. And you have to be honest with God. Honest enough to say, I have a need. And admit to that need. And declare that to someone. Declare it to God. Number two is, have to be honest enough to ask for help. When I went through my cave experience, I ended up in Cleveland, Ohio, one of the coldest places on the planet, or at least it seemed like it. But I did an awful lot of running to get to Cleveland. And I've shared with you all about at night, feeling all alone and that no one cared. Feeling my soul was in prison, just like, or at least similar to David. Having gone from being featured in the 
Southern Baptist magazine that was sent to every church and pastor in this country. And I was the main, one of the main stories in the magazine. To North American Mission Board wanting me on the radio every day at 12 o'clock doing my own show. To being the most read devotion in all of pro sports. I was at a pinnacle. But then everything crashed on me, and when it did, I ran, and I ran, and I ran. And I found myself in a mighty cold place by myself in Cleveland, Ohio. I went from lots of people wanting me to speak to no one wanting me to speak. No one even knew who I was up there. I knew one person, my brother. But I tell you what, this is what I learned. When you're in a place of desperation, sometimes you don't know what to do or where to go. But I'm telling you, if you will just keep looking to God. Because everything else will go away. But there's one thing that stays steady in his name is Jesus Christ. And sometimes it feels like Jesus is a long, long way away. And sometimes you find yourself going down the highway in your car, not knowing where you're really going even. And in that process of running, you look up to the sky, you look up to the heavens, you look up to God, and you yell out like God can't hear. But you know what I learned? And I know this doesn't sound very spiritual. But I think at the end of the day, it's deeply spiritual. When you call out and you say, God, why? Lord, I don't understand. Lord, help me. Lord, where are you? The simple truth is you're exercising faith the whole time by still calling out to God. Now, it may seem to some that's not very spiritual. Well, gosh, you shouldn't question God. You shouldn't ask God why. But yet Jesus hung from a cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I want to be like Jesus, so I think when I'm in a circumstance, it's okay for me to turn around and say, God, I don't understand. But you see, Jesus had already made up his mind that he would call on God. Remember, he said, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, take it away, but not my will, but your will. You see, if we can have a kernel, just a small piece of faith in the midst of a trial, it will take us a long way. And we come to a place of saying, Lord, I can't. Lord, I'm, I'm hurting here. You're honest enough to say I hurt, and then you're honest enough to turn around and humble enough to turn around and say, Lord, I need you. And then thirdly, humble enough to learn from God. Humble enough to say, Lord, I can't, but God, you can. And Lord, I'm going to let you the best that I know how. And God will begin to do a great and mighty work. That's real life. I can't. Lord, you can. I ask you to help me and allow you to do this in my life. So in the midst of this cave, 
David turns his cave-like experience into a training ground for himself. And one thing I've learned is when you hit a brick wall and you're going through life and then all of a sudden nothing seems to work very well or it just doesn't seem like things are going as well or you find out you have cancer or you find out you've got some kind of a, a financial circumstance or you lose your job or you don't know what to do. When, when news hits you like a wall and you don't know what else to do, I'm telling you, hear, hear this if nothing else. That is when we still give God thanks because he's rerouting our life to something better. There's an old great man of God back in the days of England with kings and queens, and the queen was going to kill him. And he said, if the queen, true story, if the queen puts me in jail, I will tell her thank you. If the queen lets me out of jail, I will tell her thank you. If the queen puts me to death, I will tell her thank you because my life is in the hand and the palm of an almighty God who loves me and cares for me more than anything else in life. That's how come we've looked the last few weeks about giving thanks in all circumstances because if we trust God, even in the midst of a cave, God can do great and mighty things, and he does. Now, what do you do if you have a family member in, in a cave? First off, let me give you three things, okay? This is good, because some of you have people that's in caves right now. First off, you see that? David runs to the cave. He escapes to the cave of Adullam, and he's at a low point. It says, so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now, here's the deal. First off, if you have a family member in a cave, you seek them out so many times I think people say well I'll just stay where I am I don't want to get too close I don't want to bother them I don't want to infringe on their territory I don't want to disrupt I don't know what to do and so we sit back while the family member stays in in the cave what we must do is see what what David's daddy and family did and that is when you see someone in the cave you go to them in that cave that's number one, you seek them out. Number two is this. When someone in your life is in the cave, you cannot stand outside the cave and say, come on out, you'll be all right. Hey, the sunlight out here, come here and see the light. And then they don't do it, and then you turn around and do what? We all have done it. Then we get mad at them, and then we maybe push them deeper in the cave or whatever the case may be, we say, if just get out here. You don't understand. Just get out the, of the cave. You know what, Paul, what David's daddy did? He climbed up into that hole, into that darkness and into that despair, and he went in there to his son, and he sat with him in that cave. And that's what his brothers did too. When you have someone in the cave, don't stand outside the cave and say, come on out. God is good out here. You have to crawl into the cave and walk them out to where God is good. But also remembering that God is at work inside of that cave. You realize that God can use the cave experience in people's lives and God can use the darkness of the cave to help that person see him in a greater way than ever before. 
in my own experience, I'm so thankful. I remember one day my brother had just become general manager of the Browns, and I was on the run, and I was in, in um, Clearwater, Florida, at a hotel. And my brother had just become the general manager of the Browns, was all over ESPN. And I called him. I didn't know what to do. And my brother turned around. He got on the phone. And we spent, I bet, an hour and a half to two hours talking about the circumstance that I was in and what we were going to do. I remember calling a friend of mine. His name is David New in Raleigh, North Carolina. One of my best friends. And I remember David New saying, what's wrong? I'm like, it's all right. He said, something's wrong with you, and I know it. I didn't tell him a word. I said, I'm all right. Within 24 hours, my friend David New got in his Ford pickup truck and drove from Raleigh to Atlanta, Georgia, and showed up at where I, where I was and came, and he said, he walked into that hotel room, and he sat on one bed, and I sat on the other, and we cried for hours, and then we went to eat and came back and cried some more. My friend showed up when I was in the cave. My brother showed up when I was in the cave. My mom and daddy showed up when I was in the cave. Fred Wolf showed up when I was in the cave. Buff McNichol showed up when I was in the cave. No one else did. See, most people don't want to go to the cave, do they? It's easier to stand out here and say, praying for you in there, you'll be all right. Listen, here's the truth. When you're in the cave, you can't see. When you're in the cave, it's lonely. Now hear this. this is, the Lord gave this to me while I was going through my cave. It was like I was flying an airplane in a storm, and I'm getting bounced all over the sky, and i got to get this plane on the ground, but I can't see the ground. And the instruments on my dash was the Word of God that I clung to that gave me guidance and navigation. But then I would have to rely on the guys in the tower to help make sure, that because they could see where I was going, where I couldn't see where I was going. They could say, Joe, you're coming in, you're, you, know, you can make it, you're going to get here, you're this far off. They helped me, those five helped me. They were in the tower in giving me guidance because I couldn't see the ground where I was going. Does that make sense? And you can't be someone's tower or in the cave with every person. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is... Please, when you encounter people that God places in your life that's in the cave, don't just say, hey, I'm praying for you. It's better life out here. Come on out. And then get frustrated and walk away. No, 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 no. You crawl up into the cave with them and you just sit. So first off, you seek them out. Secondly, you crawl into the cave with them. And thirdly, you've you got to remember, you might have to stay there a while. 
But it is in those great cave-like experiences where we see God in ways that we've never seen him before. And so guess what happens next? Look at this. Verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. When he went to the cave and began to say, God will encircle me with righteousness, he, he brought his family. But next thing you know, he brought those who were discontent and those in debt and those in distress. He began to, to bring the malcontents all around him to the cave, and there was 400 men who found him, and they gathered in this place. Now, here's what the amazing thing is, is and we don't have time for the rest of the story, But from that point on, this cave experience, these 400 men who were in debt and distress and so forth, when they gathered together in their own cave experience and they had righteousness for the family sitting in the midst of them and David continued to have faith, those 400 men began to train and began to seek God together and began to become the, one of the mightiest militaries the earth has ever known. They became known as the mighty army of David who went on to take Israel to great worldwide prominence. These 400 men. So the hope for all of us And God's permission of hope, the hope for us as well, is this. Even when you're in the cave, God's doing his work to pull you out of the cave eventually. That's not where you're going to live. You don't live in the cave. You dwell in the cave until God's continue while God's working in you. And you walk out of the cave as a mighty army for God. That's the good news. We don't like to be in the cave, but it's those who've been in the cave that God can become the mighty army, see? The ones who weren't in the cave weren't the ones that was the mighty army. It is those who God has greatly brought through the fires, the fiery places of life, the difficult places of life. And through that experience with faith are the ones who God greatly uses in our tomorrows. And that's why it's important to join with the one you love in the cave and sit with them and pray with them and give them perspective in life. That's why it's important to remember I might be in a cave today, but tomorrow I'll be in his army. And you can't see that, but it is true. And that's what we see happen here in Psalm. And then, and then here's the last, right? This is so good. It's worth two minutes of time. Turn with me to Psalm 34. This is absolutely incredible. David hits a low point. His family comes into him. He begins to gain strength. He begins to get perspective. He begins to have people come around him, and they begin to train together. They begin to pray together. They begin to, to, to know one another. And here's what happens is they become the mighty army of David. And as they're marching out and getting ready to go out, look at what David writes. It's called Psalm 34. This is the exact words that David wrote. I will bless the Lord all the times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make it boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You see that? He's saying, guys, listen, let us exalt his name together. Then, check this out. 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all of my fears. Wow. Verse 5. They looked to him, and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. You see that? Who is they? It's these discontent, indebted, hurting people who's gathered with Paul, with David, and they're in the cave. And David begins to say, guys, look, God is good. God has delivered us. God has given us strength. And they, there it is, verse 4, 5, they looked to him, to God, and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. It is God Almighty who uses people to bring us out of caves, but it's God Almighty who ultimately gets us out of the cave and back on our feet to life. And when they began to see God again, their faces became, they were not ashamed, and they were radiant. In verse 6, David says, The poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Look at verse 8. He probably said this to those who were distressed. He said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Verse 9, I bet he said this to those who were in debt. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. I bet he said this in verse 10 to those who were discontent. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And then he turns around and he says in verse 15 and following, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as, a, as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions on the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them, what? All. God delivers every one of them out, every one of us, out of them all. He wrote Psalm 34 as they were getting ready to walk out of the cave. Don't run from your cave. Let God have his work in the cave. The cave of cancer, the cave of financial distress, the cave of a, of a marital situation, the cave of don't know where to turn, the cave of depression, the cave of alcohol, the cave of whatever. When you're in the cave, continue to have at least a little faith and look to him and saying, I can't, he can't, I'm going to let him. And look for God to bring people to help. And when he does, accept the help. But make sure it's from those who are righteous because the world will take you deeper into the cave. And then... You have the one that's in the cave. You see them. You seek them out. You go sit with them, and you might be there for a while. But that's what life's about, is helping others out of the caves of life. It's real life. 
It's real life for those who hurt, and everybody in this place has some kind of hurt in their life. 